Hello, listeners. This is Jim, the Keys bartender, coming to you. I I know it's a Wednesday. I waited a while. I just did two recordings of or interviews for the Conk Chatter podcast. And you know what? I'm not. That's not like a new girlfriend for me. I'm not focusing more on this. This is my. This is always going to be my baby, the Keys bartender one. At least. You know, until I decide to give it all up, I will do this. This is a very important part of my weekly regimen. It's where I can put that. Even if no one, I'm podcasting as if no one's listening. I said that once before. Even though there are people listening, I understand. And I thank you for that. And right now, in the Keys, just like in a lot of different places in the United States, we're not as hot as some places. We're hotter than a lot of other ones. It's it's really interesting when you think about how people cope with that. And nowadays, it's just by being inside since the advent of air conditioning. But it's not that long ago. It's only 50 years before... You know, 50, 60, uh, I think it's about 50 years where new homes started incorporating central air and those uh, window units started appearing all over the place. Prior to that, people just put up with it, put up with the heat. They used, there were ceiling fans. The ceiling fans probably came about in the 1920s. Remember, that's only been as long as people had electricity hooked up to their house. Now, electricity existed forever. There was always electricity. Me, people say, what do you, no, there was not always electricity. 500 years ago, was not electricity. Yes, 500 years ago, electricity existed in the form of lightning bolts, electro, electrostatic charges, and things like that. It was only in the last 150, 160 years that we started utilizing, utilizing electricity with the advent of the light bulb and things like that. So there's a big change. No one really thought about that. You know, 250, 60 years ago, or 70 years ago, when Frank was doing his experiments with electricity, they were doing experiments with galvanic batteries and things like that. So that's new. As well as, think about it, the telephone. Now, the telephone has only been started being adopted in homes in the 1920s, about 45 years after its introduction in 1876. Prior to that, uh, people say, well, you had telegraph, and telegraph only existed since 1844. It was a relatively new technology also. <clears throat> so you realize... There are just two technologies that pretty much change the way we view the world right now. Instantaneous communication and environment modification. I mean, before the, uh, 1931, home air conditioning was first introduced. Most of it, they did exist. There were big units and they existed. They used them for theaters. <laughs> and maybe some offices. 
But prior to that, people just coped with the heat. And, you know, when it was hot, you open up the windows. Hopefully you had a screen window. Screen Screening technology is relatively, was relatively new then, too. So people didn't, they didn't have the manufacturing capability to make screens. They, they did, but it was dear. It's just like windows. Windows, uh, about 500 years ago, windows were uh, glass itself. The manufacture of glass was very expensive. People just had wooden panels for windows, and they can open up. And a window was just an opening. was just an opening in your house to cool it or to air it out. So think about those things. Prior to 1876, and we communicated with someone, it was either the telegraph or, which was dear, was expensive, or there was a mail. And the mail was what most people needed. It was a couple days, a couple days for communications. People coped with it, and they accepted it. When it was hot at night, people said, oh, it was a hot night. What you, they didn't put on air conditioning and stuff like that. There was no air conditioning. They just did it. They just did it. And we take, for something we take as, well, I mean, some t- to this day, I mean, obviously in third world countries, there's not air conditioning. You have to have electrical, uh, you have to have dependable electricity. A lot of people don't have dependable electricity. Same thing for communications with telephones. Not everyone has telephones now. But in our Western society, we do. So all these changes occurs, uh, occurred and we take them for granted after we accept them. It took a long time from the introduction, introduction of the, the telephone and the air condition for people to adopt them. And 50 years after the introduction of the telephone, 1926, maybe more than 50% of the houses in the United States did not have telephones. Same thing for air conditioning, 1931. Home air conditioning was not, it was an unusual thing. It was, you've seen it in most modern homes, the wealthiest of people. And then it moved into the more general population of the consumerism. And then it was the 1950s and then late 60s. In the late 60s, every new home, most new homes in the United States were incorporating central air. And then it became ubiquitous that you just thought air conditioning, telephones, communications, But the world has changed in 200 years, drastically, drastically. In order to go across the United States, it used to take months before uh, 200 years ago until the introduction of the transcontinental uh, railroad. There was no Panama Canal. So if you wanted to go from the East Coast to the West Coast, you either did that arduous journey across the United States it wasn't all the United States then. It was unincorporated parts of the United States. Or you take a ship around the southern tip of South America and all the way up to the West Coast. 
or you go to the Isthmus of Panama, take a transportation across, get a ship there, which was probably the shorter amount of time. But if you're traveling with cargo and things like that, people usually like to arrive with the cargo. So they do it unless they're going to trudge it all the way across. And there were only all that time when things are changing and new technologies are being incorporated, there were some people that envisioned the possibilities of the future. People like H.G. Wells, the author, Arthur C. Clarke, the writer, Marie Curie, the scientist. They saw the possibilities of what these new te- technologies will bring to people and how they'd be good for that uh, humanity. And in the beginning, people just like they'd listen to it and not appreciate the full consequences of the things they're doing. Like electricity with they they could be amazed by the process when Edison showing the light bulb. And they say, oh, this is great. How's this going to affect me? Well, there's going to be a house. Well, I don't have any electricity in my house. How am I going to be able to do this? Same thing with computers. <coughs> the biggest, the, the uh, big com- monster computers came about at the, right after World War II. It was the first computer actually... Uh, depending on what you call a computer, but the first, I guess, classic computer was at the end of World War II. The U.S. was developing for ballistic charts and algorithms. And they'd take up rooms. And people would saw it, and they'd just say, well, that's great, that's great. You've got this big thing, it uses a lot of energy, they got to use a lot of air conditioning, which was a new technology to keep it cool, but people couldn't see how they incorporate it in their daily lives. And then some people say, well, you know, someday we're going to get, you know, as the technology moved along and got smaller, you went from transistors, uh, from vacuum tubes to transistors to integrated circuits and microprocessors and even smaller microprocessors. People say, this will be something everyone will use. And science fiction writers envisioned it, but people still couldn't feel it because they said it was so far in the technology. Like the microwave. The microwave was around for years. I I didn't do the research on it, so I don't know. I know it existed at least since the 60s, maybe in the 50s. But people couldn't see how that's, you know, the, you know our food. You're gonna, we're going to heat our food up using this. It's going to take minutes rather than an hour. They just don't see how that would affect their personal lives. Just like you see when you see a rocket taking off from SpaceX. Going into space, the booster coming back and landing straight down on a platform. How does that affect me? Well, new technologies will affect you eventually. It would take, it could take a hundred years or less 
but the new things are happening. And we have no idea how that will turn out. The computer, initially when computers came out, people thought, well, that's nice. We're going to be able to do this. At one point, Bill Gates said, I think it was 500 megabytes of storage, which today we went from megabytes to gigabytes, and now we got terabytes. And each one is a magnitude higher. But initially, when they got up to 500 megabytes, Bill Gates or someone else said, 500 megabytes is all we're ever going to need. But for gene sequencing, for all the digital storage and stuff, no, you need terabytes. You know why? Because as technology moved on, so would be the type of way we're storing the technology and the higher definition of it. So we need more space. But we developed that. And the way it's introduced to humans nowadays. The computer of the 1940s, the late 1940s, does not resemble in the least bit what we have in our hands right now, which is so much more powerful, so much smaller, so much more capable. Star Trek, with their handheld devices, couldn't even envision all the things they could do. But when people saw them holding, saw the show, and they saw these people holding these things, these tricorders and things like that, and they're reading people's doing diagnostics and things like that, or different, just a couple different things it would do. They say, that's amazing. They didn't envisage that they got some things wrong, like teleportation's not here yet, but, you know, who knows? They had a panel where you order food. You go up to and you order any type of food, and it would just formulate it. That's a 3D printer. We're going to get up to a, a point with 3D printers where they're going to be able to print food. They're doing this now. They can 3D print food with different... They have different mixtures and they can 3D print food to to perhaps the same nutritional value, but not exactly the same texture yet. So that would change. So why are we surprised when technology does not meet at the time when it's introduced? The expectation that we have. In the 1970s, there was a book that came out called Future Shock, and the suggestion was that change would occur so rapidly that people could not adapt to it. And they wouldn't be able to handle the accumulation of changes occurring in society that would change because of technology. The instantaneous trans, uh, instantaneous messaging, access to information, news. Uh, it, it was taken for granted a couple hundred years ago that if you were going to cross the Atlantic, it was going to take at least a month before air travel. And then air travel came around, it would take 20 hours. 20, 25, uh, some crazy amount. And they'd have way stops along the way. And then we kind of went backwards, but when the, the, it was shortened to like 
less than two hours by the Concorde supersonic passenger uh, that was taken away because of the pollution incurred that it produced the ozone depletion it did from its exhaust and the noise pollution. They're about to reintroduce that more hypersonic. I, we will be seeing in the next 10 years hypersonic passenger uh, travel where it's going to be perhaps an hour across the Atlantic, two hours across the Pacific. Flights that normally would take 18 hours could take three hours or less. Probably less. It's always going to be less. Some people say, well, it's going to, it takes three hours to get to Australia. We can reduce that time. And we'll be looking back at it and you say, well, Wow, we didn't see that coming. Same thing with the electric car. People, a friend of my daughter's, moved to the Midwest. The father had a Tesla. I don't know which model. But they're looking to sell it because they say there's not enough charging stations. And I said, well, that would be weird. You know, if you move to a part of the United States in the 1920s, and you say, well, I'm going to get a horse. It's like, I'm going to go back to the horse. Because there's not enough gas stations. Well, yeah, you can get a horse, but I'm telling you. The trend is more charging stations. It's not going to go. That's what happened with the, the automobile. People didn't go back to the telegraph because service was bad. They just kept on getting more capabilities for the telephone. Originally, when you had to make a long-distance call, originally, well, at some point in development, they had to have switchboard operators. So if you were going to make a phone call, you would contact your operator by clicking, I don't know, I wasn't around then, but clicking the receiver, there, there, there was a handle on the receiver, lever, that the, um, the earpiece would hang on. That's a single piece one that we, you would hang up. And you'd use the base of the phone would have the microphone. And you click the thing that held the ear where you listen to the speaker. You click it several times to get the operator. And you tell the operator and he says, I'm making a long distance call to St. Louis. And that operator, which was a local operator, would take you two uh, would take your circuit, your phone line, your literal phone line, because they're receiving you at one circuit, and they put it into another, take a plug and plug it into another area, send you someplace else. Now, it may not be St. Louis. It could be Chicago. And that operator would contact you to St. Louis, and a local operator in St. Louis would connect you to the phone number that you wanted. It was a convoluted process, but it was relatively simple compared to mail or the telegraph. Because the telegraph, you'd send it from operator to operator, and that operator would have to take the message, decipher the message, because it was a Morse code, and give it to a courier, and a courier would take it to the person we see. 
So you can see how the telephone, you wouldn't need the person to interpret it. Just once they got all connected, they'd be able to talk to each other. Even though it was a convoluted process. People didn't, didn't take for granted that it would get easier. They assumed that's the way it's going to be. And then all of a sudden, it was direct dialing. And you're putting an exchange number in. There was an area code that access operator takes you to, let's say, if you're in Philadelphia, you want to call Washington, D.C., you put area code, Washington, D.C., an exchange number, which was the first three numbers. And then the individual number was the last four digits. Now there's a lot more exchanges and everything like that. And we still have enough numbers. But we... We pretty much improved on that with the cell phone. When the cell phone first came out, we had it was horrible quality, but people didn't weren't tethered to the wire. And people say, "Well, it's going to be mainly businessmen, doctors, communications like that, military usage for it." And and then as they started expanding the technology, making it more accessible to people. In the early 2000s, who would have thought? In 1998, 1997, that the cell phone or wireless phones were going to be as widespread as they are now into the third world and being used. This really high-end technology in 97, 98, 99, Going to the third world where people say, we don't need to wire every house. We need to put signal transmitters and receivers in general areas. And then we'll have these people be able to communicate. And there's people in countries that never really had, they didn't have any central sewage system, water supply, electricity. They have cell phones. They hops skipped over a bunch of no central air and they're jumping ahead and those that exchange of technology is enabling them to be able to do workarounds to local generated electricity developing their own water treatment water delivery systems energy uh, energy development systems wind power solar uh, wind generated solar-generated, and water-generated. So, you know, there's all different types they can do. And we ignore these, that the future, when we have a problem today, we ignore the possibility of things that change in the future. Yes, I believe that some of the behaviors that humans have are kind of devastating our environment. And you hear scientists say, we are approaching a point of no return. And unmitigated change, uh, deteriorating change, yes, is a point of no return. But who's to say where the technology is going to be in the future that could reverse that? Carbon capture... Uh, different technologies, uh, changing uh, ability to block sunlight. When 
using using solar panels to protect soil for plants that need less heat, less solar, uh, direct sunlight, all those things. Human life, human uh, health, they'll change. There was a time when you hear certain types of cancer, there was almost an 100% uh, um, oh man, I'm going to draw on this one and this is where I'd like to uh, be able to utilize the technology I had to hand at hand the uh, editing. But when, when you received a diagnosis of certain types of cancer in the past, that was a death sentence. But now there's a high rate of recovery from even the most serious type of cancer. Or at least a higher rate. And then it's getting higher. It does appear sometimes there seems to be more cancer out there. I noticed that myself here. And it could be because of some of the things we use today where technology is harming us. But it's kind of like a push-pull. Some of the things create more problems than nuclear, nuclear energy. Radiation is a problem, right? Maybe there is a way with, uh, I think it's fission, nuclear fission, or is it fusion? One of them produces much less long-lived effects, and I'm pretty sure it's fusion, where the byproduct is less radioactive and less long-lived. And there is also the promise of cold fusion, where production of energy would be virtually, you know, on magnitudes higher with less of that negative effects we hear about. You know, no danger of a meltdown and things like that. And people say, you know that? That's always what they say in the beginning. That's always what they say in the beginning. But you know what? They're gonna. It's going to come about. It's one of these things. It's like the introduction of fire. Introduction of fire. A thousand years ago, fire existed. Fire existed. It was more of an accident then. But when people learned how to create fire or create the kinetic energy to produce fire, or you know, using a flint. People would not get rid of fire because fire could be used to harm people and harm the environment. We see wildfires and things like that. But if you told people to say, listen, let's say we got rid of, um, I'm told you we'd be able to get rid of any uh, wildfires, forest fires, home fires. But the problem with that, we'd have to get rid of fire altogether and heat. Because heat produces fire when you get a combustible material. People would say, you're crazy. We need fire. We need fire to cook our food, to keep us warm when it's cold, you know, to uh, refine our uh, different products, different ores, metal ores, and uh, 
we need it. We cannot do it without it. So taking it away is not a shot, you know, it's not an option. So the point of this is when we look at development and people say, oh, this is this shame, like the, everything, everything moves along its timeline and people accept it eventually. Or some communities accept it. They call people, there's a philosophy called, uh, I think, Luddites. A Luddite is someone that rejects uh, technological development, almost any development of any time, kind as kind of like an evil. And then a simpler process is more, let's say, elegant or more, I, I guess, morally right. Well, how is it morally right for someone to die of cancer or someone to die of some kind of rare genetic disease? I mean, we're at the brink of that. You know, people's lives will change. Who's to say where the limits, at this time, the limits of human life, they're saying is around 120. We, We don't know where that next discovery is going to occur where people say, well... That's not necessarily it. Once they crack that 120, it could be forever. It could be forever. I mean, there could be things you can't stop someone getting run over for a car and stuff like that, but from dying from natural causes could be a thing in the past in the future. That may or may not be a good thing if we're still producing people because you don't want to, you got to replace things. It's like trees and grass and stuff. When, like if every tree that grew, which would be awesome for the planet maybe, stayed around, then there would be no place for people, except in the trees maybe. Maybe we'd live like the movie Avatar, live in the trees and stuff like that. But there would, if every person that had lived was still alive today, we would quickly fill up. It's like filling up a lake Every time it rains, but none of the water left the lake. None of it evaporated. Eventually, the lake would over, overfill its coastline or you know its, its edges and just start flooding the area. I digress. Development will occur, and we're going to have to accept it. People get very angry over changes and things like that. They don't understand it. They didn't. I didn't understand technology. I spent five hours yesterday attempting to edit a sound file, an audio file. See, look at me. I called it a sound file. It's an audio file. I did not understand the process of being able to do certain things like taking out high points like clicks and static distortion. I just went, take out and put, you say, refine impulsive, uh, I forget the term, do something with impulsive sound. Impulsive sound is sounds that just showed up like this. That's an impulsive sound, but a much louder. So I ran it through a algorithm that takes that out. And also I was able to take out certain blips where you can go to the exact... And people have been able to do that for years. You could do it on tape. You could do it on electronic... You know, on 
a computer file or anything things like that. It's just one of those things that existed. But the ability to do it escaped me. To this point, I still think it escapes me, even though I was able to do it. But it was arduous. It was arduous. And I'm thinking the next time will be less arduous. And eventually it will become second nature. Just take a little time. I would love things just to be automatic. I, I take for granted that development will occur. And certain things will become easier. That it would be easier to charge a vehicle. That it become more efficient. I thought by this time we'd be... The world would be slightly different than it is today. I thought it would have moved on to a higher higher uh, plane of understanding that we'd be a little cleaner a little more peaceful a little less violent and that people would be more enlightened and that's just not the case it seems that as if as I recall that people are less enlightened than they were 50 years ago So it could be for because of people like me who have their own platforms to say things. It's a possibility that I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution. I accept that. I don't think what I'm talking about is problematic. It doesn't increase disharmony. I'm not trying to do that. This is just a personal journey. And then whenever I can impart whatever I know, and I won't call it wisdom, that's only for you to decide. That my understanding of things is just that, my understanding of things. And I hope that it, when it reaches you, you're going to say, oh, well, I kind of agree with that. Or I disagree with you. All technology is bad. Well, if it, all technology is bad, you shouldn't be listening to a podcast, Right. Or some tech, you know what I mean? If you just automatically assume that, that new technology is bad, you probably wouldn't be listening to podcasts. You'd be listening to terrestrial radio. Or you could be sitting in the South Pacific listening to someone beating out their broadcast on an empty lock, you know, on a hollowed out tree. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you for hanging in there for all the. Uh, stops I have sometimes I do that's the way I think I can't it doesn't all come to me in a big flow I wrote a lot of this stuff down believe it or not and it sounded more cogent and fluid when I was writing it down and when I was thinking it but I got to do it when I can and I thank you for that have a great day and I will be back again I'm thinking perhaps Another time this week. I'm not going to make a promise on that, but I will be. I will be here another time this week. I got a couple things to do, but hopefully, it'll be good. And we're going to be the next one. We'll be talking about is uh, <clears throat> challenges, and my challenge is procrastination. My big challenge is procrastination. Uh, people say, Jim, you got bigger challenges than procrastination. I know that, but for me. You might tell me something. I've got to defeat procrastination. I will be back and tell you about it next time. Bye.